Hey everyone, this is Mike Skinner. I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast for Sweetwater Christian Church. We are glad that you are interested in joining us as we follow Christ. If you'd ever like to support our ministry financially or just learn more about us, head on over to sweetwaterchristian.org. Thanks and God bless. Has to be done and cleaned and, and, and hidden and all of these things. Putting together the note cards of what you can't talk about, what you can talk about this holiday season. I mean, Christmas is right there. You can feel it. You can touch it. You can smell it. And yet we still are in Advent. We have one more Sunday. The celebration is coming. That starts Christmas Eve, Christmas. The church calendar says have 12 days, take 12 days to celebrate Christmas. But don't skip Advent. Don't skip this time of reflection and waiting, and expectation. Advent gives us time to process what it means to have to wait, to live in a world in which there are moments of discomfort, and pain, and grief, and darkness. And that's what we've been discussing the past few weeks in our Advent sermon series. We've been looking at the context in the scripture for Christmas, which is darkness. It's to a people who've dwelt in deep darkness that good news of a child being born comes. And we've wondered out loud whether there are blessings we might find by processing, experiencing, naming, and recognizing times of darkness or sorrow or sadness or grief or pain. Whether there's some, some ancient wisdom that the, the church calendar gives us to to be able to recognize that life is not just celebration, but also sometimes grief. Life is not just light, but also sometimes darkness. And so this morning I want to wrap up our Advent series by continuing this exploration into some of the blessings perhaps we can find in these these tougher times of life that we often try to ignore or distract ourselves from or to kind of run by on our way to the next celebration. And so to do so, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Kings, the most adventy of books in the Bible, 1 Kings. First Kings chapter 19 is where we will be. Let's make that a thing, 1 Kings is Advent. 1 Kings 19, we're going to look at a story that's very powerful. You, you probably heard this story before. If you have been going to the church, you've definitely heard it because we looked at it for our mental health sermon series. But it's just a very powerful story. I want to look at it again. Um, it's a story by the prophet Elijah. We're going to pick it up in chapter 19, verse 1. And just for some context, just so we're all kind of in the, in the story, in the narrative, what's happened is Elijah has just finished this kind of battle if you will, with these false prophets who have kind of infiltrated God's people, the nation of Israel. And he has one. It was this hugely successful kind of encounter. And he goes from the highest of highs to, as we see, kind of the lowest of lows. And so we, we pick it up after he has won this encounter, after these false prophets have been slayed. And then in verse 1 of chapter 19, we read this, Ahab told Jezebel, so this King Ahab told Queen Jezebel, that all, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba. He's got that adrenaline run right here, right? 
He's got that endurance that comes from this, uh, this death threat, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So if we're following this story, Elijah is now entering into the type of space that we've been talking about. We've been talking about the darkness, the shadows, the wilderness. Now we see the prophet Elijah right on the heels of the spiritual victory, find his way into the wilderness. The same wilderness that Jesus is sent into by the Spirit to be tempted. The same wilderness that you and I go in and out of throughout seasons of our lives. He came and sat down under a broom tree. It's like a money tree, but with brooms. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah is down and he's out. He's in the wilderness and he wants to have his life taken away from him. He lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Here we see again some of the things we've kind of been talking about. It's in the wilderness that Elijah is nourished. It's in the wilderness that God does not abandon Elijah, but yet comes to him, draws close to him, gives him instructions. Verse 9, there he came to a cave and he lodged in it. Elijah's gone from the wilderness to the cave. He's, he's in a dark place, literally. The cave is an important part of uh, geography, of space in the scriptures. When it comes time to celebrate Christmas, we'll be reminded that Jesus himself is born in a cave. We think of a stable as like what we might find on a farm driving down out in the, the kind of boondocks. You take 30, 40 minutes down, down that way. But it probably would have just been a stable kind of in the side of a hill, a cave in the dark. Elijah here lays down in the cave, and, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Notice Elijah's response here. Why, why are you in the cave? Why have you gone from the wilderness to the cave? Why are you laying down in this spot, in this space? He says, have you met these other people? Why am I here? Have you not been paying attention? These people have forsaken you. These people have forgotten your promises. These people have torn down the covenant. Elijah is experiencing the acute pain that sometimes comes to us when we feel the weight of all the pain that there is in the world, when we look around at the church and we're grieved because the church is not bearing light and witness to Christ the way that she's called to. Elijah is looking out at the world around him and he's grieving because of what he sees. And I think you and I can relate to that. The answer he gives to God, he says, "There's, there's all these bad things happening and I'm the only one left. And so just take, take my life away. And he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And, and behold, the Lord passed by. 
Then a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord, and the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. God shows up to Elijah in this cave, and he shows up in a surprising way, in a whisper. Elijah might have expected God to show up in the earthquake or in the fire or in the great wind. We, we talked about one of the things that happens sometimes in our, our moments of sorrow is that God has to teach us new things about himself or kind of unteach us certain things that we've thought or assumed about him. Elijah might not have expected that, that he would hear the voice of God in this cave in the sound of this quiet whisper. Advent might need to train us because we may not expect to hear the voice of God in the cries of a baby in a stable in Jerusalem. God comes, but often he comes in a surprising way, in a way that we're quick to miss out on if we're not paying attention to it or sensitive to it. And and what does Elijah say? He gets asked the same question. He repeats the same statement. I want to zero in, though, on on one thing he says. After he, he kind of describes the darkness around him, he sees and is grieving. Notice how he describes himself and his situation. He says, I'm all alone. I, even I only, am left. The statement itself is emphatic, the way he says it. It kind of goes out of his way a couple of different times to say it in just one statement. And then he repeats it for further emphasis. Elijah is feeling all by himself. And this is, I think, one of the most nefarious things that can happen to us in the time of shadows, in a time of discomfort or pain or grief, is we can isolate ourselves or we can feel isolated. When the lights go out, we can't see anyone else. And fear seizes our minds and our hearts and our bodies, and we go, I'm all alone. There's no one else here. I'm all by myself. All I've got are my own resources. I've been left to fend for myself. The darkness, the shadows, can cause us to feel lonely. And loneliness is a dangerous thing. Now, loneliness is not the same thing as being alone, right? You you understand that distinction? Being alone is good and can be healthy. Being lonely is just this lack of connection, this vital connection with other people. You can be lonely even if you're not alone, right? Have you ever experienced this? You're in a crowd of people. You're at a party. Maybe people you like, people you're friends with. And yet that connection's just not there and you're feeling lonely. I've found in my own life, it's usually times like that where loneliness feels the most weighty and heavy because the contrast kind of, kind of highlights how lonely I'm feeling. I'm surrounded by all these people. I'm in this crowded room and yet I'm not connected to any of them. I don't feel at least connected to any of them. 
And it's killer. Loneliness is deadly. Both physically and spiritually. So in the past few years, research has come out and a handful of kind of national public health figures have made it kind of one of their causes um, to, to go out and, and spread awareness about just how dangerous being lonely is, feeling lonely is, lacking those connections. A study came out a couple of years ago after reviewing a whole bunch of other studies, kind of this meta-analysis. What they found was that feeling lonely is actually more lethal to you than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's more lethal to you than obesity because of a variety of biological and psychological reasons. When people lack connection with one another, their immune systems fail to protect themselves. Their stress levels, hormones go through the roof. Their bodies start to break down. Chronic diseases flare up and take hold. If you were to look at just all the negative effects that can come from Loneliness, just the experience of loneliness, it, it might surprise you. Depression, which then sometimes, unfortunately, ends in suicide. Cardiovascular disease, strokes, cognitive impairment, decreased memory and learning, substance abuse, alcoholism, drug use, all kinds of chronic diseases. Loneliness is, is deadly. And it's interesting to look through how different Demographics experience connection and loneliness. And so what a lot of studies have found is that the, the most loneliest types of people are usually the very old and then the young adult teenage. These are the people where you see the increased numbers of, of folks who will say, I don't feel connected to anyone. But if you survey Americans, about half of them will say they feel lonely. And it's not good for them. It's not good for you and I. It's not good for a human being to lack these connections to be like Elijah and say, I, even I only am left. There was a nurse who had noticed that her patients with severe chronic illness um, were coming in over and over and over again to the hospital. And, and she had kind of seen these, these studies about loneliness coming out. And so she formed this research group. And, and what she did was she identified all of the patients who lived alone. And with her team, they set out this kind of controlled study where they said, we're going to call them twice a week and then follow up, watch, and see if it has any sort of marked improvement on their health, on their, on their life. And so they did. They called twice a week. The nurse would call up and chat with them. And, and they said sometimes it was pretty mundane about whatever TV show they were watching or memories you know, of their life in the past or something that happened during their week. A lot of times they said it was about physical symptoms, right, or their illness. And they were able to give advice and give direction over the phone. What they found was over the course of a handful of months and then an extended longer period of time is indeed quality of life skyrocketed. Emergency room visits plummeted. Just a couple of phone calls a week from relative strangers made people healthier more vital. I don't know if you've ever visited the ER, but it's not, not cheap. And so uh, they also, I'm sure, had some more finances to live a fuller life with, a little less stress on their plate. Loneliness is, is deadly, but, but also spiritually, not just physically. 
lacking that connection to other people is, is a way for, for our spiritual lives to be strangled and suffocated. When you feel lonely, when you feel like you're by yourself, this is when, as Christians, it's so easy to become discouraged. This is when, as Christians, it's so easy to become judgmental and frustrated with others. This is when, as Christians, it's easy to become bitter. Loneliness creates in Christians this this difficulty in receiving and giving love. It creates this distance in our relationship with God. The good news, though, is that the darkness, the shadows, the caves are times of pain and discomfort and grief and sorrow. I don't think they have to make us lonely. If you go back to 1 Kings 19, perhaps the most Adventy chapter of the most Adventy book in the Bible, um, we'll, we'll skip a little bit because there's some names I don't want to pronounce, but God is, is speaking to Elijah after he says this, giving him some instructions. And in, in, in verse 18, he says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. What, what God is saying here to Elijah is, You are not alone. I know you, you think you're alone. I know you feel like you're alone. I know you're missing right now, perhaps, these, these vital connections, but you are not alone. There are 7,000. There's a large community of people that you still belong to, that you can find support with. This recognition, this, this truth, this life-giving, if, if loneliness is deadly, then connection is life-giving. It's powerful, transformative. If I'm Elijah, and I'm in this cave, and I'm thinking I'm, I'm all by myself here, there's no one left on the team, the news from God that there's 7,000 out there excites me, gives me some hope, puts a little fire in my bones. The good news for you and I is that while these times can lead us to loneliness and isolation, they don't have to. They can also be a chance, perhaps paradoxically, to realize that we're not alone, to form vital connections. What what happens is we go through something as human beings, and particularly in the church, this seems to be as prevalent, if not more prevalent than other kind of groups, we, we go through this time of tragedy or hurt or sorrow or pain or just frustration, time of waiting. And because sometimes we have a weird kind of culture baked into the church where we want to pretend and, and put on our best face, it kind of creates isolation between people and, and we kind of feel less authentic in front of others and we can start to think that we're all by ourselves. And we can start to think that our experience is unique and that no one else understands what we're going through. And it becomes this vicious cycle of isolation and separation and loneliness and loneliness. And then we find that loneliness starts to destroy us. It starts to destroy us physically and it starts to destroy us spiritually. But, but this time of sorrow or pain or whatever it is, it, it doesn't have to create that loneliness. It can actually do the exact opposite, create connection in the community. The truth is, no matter what you're experiencing or have experienced or one day will experience, you are not the only person who will experience that. 
you are unique and beautiful, right? And God made you so special. And your life is unique to an extent. There's nothing that's going to come into your life, into your family, into your bank account, into your body. That's not a situation or an experience that's also shared by hundreds of others, thousands of others, millions of others. It's not been shared by people for thousands of years in the past that will probably be shared years into the future. The holiday season that we're in tends to create this, this, this kind of weird loneliness among people where even though they're together in office parties and family get-togethers, they feel separated and lonely. And I think it's helpful to be reminded at all times that whatever you're going through, you're not alone. We're a small church community. And, and when I speak to people who are struggling and suffering, the thing I hear a lot over and over again is, is that, you know, I'm the only one going through this. No one else surely has these same type of struggles. No one else surely has the same type of pain. And, and while I can't break confidence, I would want to say every time, like, no, you're not alone. This is silly of you. There's only 50, 75 of us, right? But you're not even alone in this group. In fact, really, I've yet to hear a story or a struggle that I couldn't also say, you know, if I had that person's permission, I can connect you with someone just across the aisle here who's also experiencing something like that, who has gone through something like that. And so we run through the, the gamut. I mean, we run through the list. Loneliness itself, right? You're not alone in feeling lonely. <laughs> and if you're feeling lonely, guess what? There's other people feeling lonely too. If you're depressed, you're not alone in being depressed. If you're grieving right now, experiencing some sadness because of a loved one who's passed, maybe this is the first holiday season without them, or maybe this is a number that's way too high to experience the holiday season without them, you're not alone. If you're struggling with a chronic illness and the doctors can't figure it out, or the medicines aren't working, you're not alone. The marriage, the relationship with the kids, fractured, broken, you're not alone. The finances are tight and the bills aren't getting paid, you're not alone. If you're struggling with an addiction to alcohol or drugs, you're not alone. You're not by yourself. There's plenty of others around you. If you've got questions about your faith, questions about the scriptures, you're not alone. If you're feeling distant from God, you're not alone. And what can happen is in communities that form out of these times of pain or grief or sorrow, you can actually find some of the most supportive and life-giving communities formed. Um, if, if you have experienced uh, some kind of addiction or, or know someone who has or, or just am somewhat familiar um, kind of with AA or the 12-step the process, you might be familiar with how these groups 
get together and function and how life-giving they can be. How vital it can be to connect with others and, and share it with one another. Many of us, I think if we went around the room, probably belong in some way or fashion to some kind of support group with some sort of thing that we struggle with. Where we come together and say, hey, I experienced this too. And we share tips and ideas and just sit with one another and pray for one another. Sometimes these type of communities are some of the most supportive. And so paradoxically, the time and darkness, the shadows, the cave doesn't have to make us lonely. It can actually bring us together when you recognize that we're not alone. There are others out there that are going through the same thing that we are. And this connection is life-giving, both physically and spiritually. Last week I mentioned uh, a psychologist, Martha Greenspan. And uh, I want to, again, go back to her this morning. Uh, she was writing and, and trying to give advice to those who become frightened by kind of the dark emotions that we experience and want to skip over in our lives. Uh, and she said instead of avoiding them and kind of becoming more and more cut off from the world around us, her advice was this, and it was very interesting to me. I kind of marked it and had to come back and, and think about it more later. She said the best thing to do when fear has a neck hold on you is to befriend someone who lives in real and constant fear. The best thing to do when you are flattened by despair is to spend time in a community where despair is daily bread. The best thing to do when sadness has your arms twisted behind your back is to sit down with the saddest kid you know and say, tell me all about it. I've got all the time in the world. And I read that and I was thinking through that advice and thinking through like, okay, so I'm sad. And her advice to me is to find the saddest kid I know and sit him down and say, tell me all about your sadness. And thinking like, I think I'm just going to be more sad. <laughs> and thinking through what, you know, why is the advice like this? What, what might happen? What, what, what things might come out of situations like this, activities, initiatives like this? And, and I'm thinking at the very least, right, you're going to know that you're not alone in your sadness. Find someone who's sad and talk to them. Why? Because now a community's been formed, a connection's been made. At the very, very least, whatever else might happen and be happening and, and might psychologically help you out, at the lowest common denominator, you're going to go, oh, I guess I'm not the only one who's sad. Or I'm not the only one who's afraid. Or I'm not the only one who's experiencing despair. Or sorrow can be a chance to realize we're not alone and to make connections. It can also be a chance to realize that, that we're not alone as a, a human species. The message of Christmas, which we'll soon be celebrating, is, is somewhat summed up when we're told that Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. The message of Christmas is that human beings are not alone. Humanity was not left to itself. It's not left to rely on its own devices or resources. No, the God in Christ has come close to humanity, is with and for humanity. In the cave, Elijah finds the voice of God. And though it's surprising, it's there. And in our world, even in our moments of sorrow and pain and grief, we find the presence of God. 
Matthew begins the Gospel of Matthew by describing Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. And then at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus, before he departs, says, I'll be with you forever. Always to the end of the age. This is his parting kind of promise to the disciples. Is, is, Don't worry, I'm still here. I'll still be with you. You'll still have this connection with me, with my Father. You and I have this connection made available to us with God himself. And something powerful, I think, happens when we understand that, that wherever we are, whatever's happening, God is there with us. God can be found there. He can be relied upon. The Christmas story illustrates, I think, that Advent often starts for most of us by being by ourselves. In the Christmas story, many of the characters, they, at one point or another, go through this time of being alone. Advent, for us, starts by ourselves, and usually by Christmas Day, most of us have found some connection with family and friends and communities, but it still starts, I think, alone. So if you just do a quick survey of the, the story, Elizabeth, the cousin of Mary, if you're familiar with the story, she's carrying a child in her old age. She's gone through a long period of life, barren, wanting a child and not being able to. It's a tough experience. Then she gets pregnant, and do you know the story? Her husband goes mute. Now, that might be a blessing in certain marriages. I don't know the dynamics. But I'm guessing in, a, in another way, that's also a, a, a big problem. Elizabeth, I'm guessing, is at times very much alone. Mary, a teenage girl engaged to Joseph, is visited by the angel Gabriel while she sleeps. She's alone, left to wonder. She's going crazy. What's going to happen to her? Joseph's alone when he's visited by the angel, assures him that Mary's still his wife and he should still take her. But, but he had been secretly planning to break off their engagement in secret and alone. Most of these characters at various points find themselves alone, if not lonely. But it's the realization that we're not alone. We, we are not alone because there are others in the body of Christ like us. And we're not alone because God in Christ has drawn permanently close to us. It's this realization that gives us hope, that allows us to wait, that allows us to run whatever race God has given us with endurance and patience. It's this recognition, I think, that is supposed to create in us the reaction I think Elijah gets when he hears there's 7,000 others. And so this Advent season, as we wrap up, our time of waiting, as we're now even closer to this celebration. I invite you to recognize your deep need for a connection with other people and with God and to choose to live in community, to choose to grieve in community, to choose to wait in community, to choose to celebrate in community. Celebrating in community is not denying hardship. It's an act of courage in the face of it. And so we come to this table this morning to do that. And we'll show up again Tuesday night, Christmas Eve, to celebrate with one another. Not because there's no hardships, 
but because the light has come. Emmanuel, God with us. And a new hope has been born into our hearts, which will not fail us. Will you pray with me?